and welcome to the miseducation of the SLP. I am your host, Ingrid, and I'm Ayele here with you back again. Tag team back again. <laughs> body, up, body let's begin. Hey girl, how hey, are you? I'm good. How about you? Well, I mean, it's been an interesting time, as you know. Um Lots of ups and downs, lots of changes. We've all both had some of those things happen recently. Me with getting um, a shift in um, my job and you as well, I think. Yes. And also some things that are happening out in the news. Um, I know that we had a, a couple of posts um, in regards to a young black man, SLP, who um, ended up dying um, without really a cause at the, at this time, you know, we're not really clear on what's been going on there. Um, but it was, it was a really charged story. Yeah. Um, you know, the story of Jelani Day, who is part of our community, um, was studying to be an SLP, really wanted to become a doctor one day. Uh, he was missing for over a month before, you know, before our community really even our community as SLPs really even heard about it, um, definitely was not getting the news coverage that, you know, someone like Gabby Petito, who was all over the news, all over social media, um, was getting and during the same time period. And, um, you know, they found his body on September 4th, but it wasn't identified as being his body until uh, September 23rd, even though his parents were looking for answers, asking for answers. Um, his car was found near where the body was discovered, where his remains were discovered. Um, his ID was found near the body of water where his remains were discovered. And still, um, you know, his parents were not given the opportunity to try to identify him. Uh, and they were just waiting and waiting for answers and being told that they believed that that this was to do with another case. So, you know, I, I'm not a coroner. I, I don't know, you know, how that situation works or should have worked, but, you know, there's I mean, a lot of questions that are not, that, you know, need some answers probably. From the outside looking in um, with skin of brown like mine, I do have more harsh questions as to why they didn't have even the possibility to identify the body 20 days ago. Like, why would you want to put, um, you know, somebody through that? Because I feel, you know, if, or it was 19 days, right? Between the time that they found the body and the time the family discovered. Yeah. September 4th through September 20, 23rd. Yeah. So it's like, how can you just not even give them the chance? It's an emotional thing. Mothers are distressed, concerned, worried, you know, they just want to know. And I don't think it's compassionate to just kind of sidestep that uh, and let it dangle. And I'm not sure if it would be different for other people's experiences, depending on how emotional they were or how influential they were in society. I, I really don't, I can't answer that question, but it does make me wonder as a person who has seen inconsistencies in terms of how people are treated, even in the healthcare arena, when they are of certain colors or financial standing, I, I do see variances in that kind of care and that kind of treatment and that kind of service that we're supposed to provide. I've 
seen that there. So I wonder if there would be a difference in the in the um, police force. My historical analysis would say yes, because of course that's been the problem in the in the nation since inception. Uh, but you know, people like to say that no, it would have been the same no matter what. I'm skeptical, but. I mean, I think it's glaringly obvious, you know, when you look at the fact that, you know, Jelani's case and Gabby Petito's case are happening and unfolding at the same time. And the coverage that they received in terms of their cases is so vastly different, you know, and his family was, you know, pointed that out as well, that you know, he was just not getting the coverage. It was just not all over the news. I I didn't hear about it until his school posted a, a Facebook message about it and somebody reposted it and I read it. And I mean, I'm, you know, in the true crime community. I'm, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I consume a lot of true crime content, um, you know, so we were not seeing the same coverage in terms of both of those things. And I think that that, you know, the the internet can be a double-edged sword when it comes to true crime cases and web sleuths and, you know, people trying to put their opinion in or, you know, calling in tips if they're real or if they're fake can really affect a case. But that coverage, that wall-to-wall media coverage does kind of put pressure on the authorities to close this case, to find out what's happening, to come up with a solution, you know, in the amount of time that it took for Gabby Petito to be found and for her remains to be identified is a huge difference from what we're seeing in Jelani Day's case. And, you know, there are questions around that. I know there, you know, their bodies may not have been in the same condition. And, you know, that's not to say that Gabby Petito's family did not deserve to have the answers. They deserve to have the answers. They deserve to be able to find her and to put their fears at rest. But Jelani Day's family deserves that same thing. And the families of, you know, all the people who have disappeared that are parts of vulnerable communities or people of color or, you know, indigenous women, they all deserve to have that kind of closure and that same kind of effort and passion behind finding their loved ones too. And, and that's, you know, where we see a big difference, a big disconnect. Well, this is where I, you know, I kind of stay firm in the idea that we've always talked about the fact that we should, it has not happened. It's repeated over and over. I feel like the education is highly available. And so it's essentially looks to me like it's just a decision to remain apathetic. And that's how things kind of manifest when there's not a change and people continue to perseverate on the same problem without actually invoking change. It really does become a scenario that you're comfortable actually with how it is. You've just accepted it. It's growing more uncomfortable for all of us. And I see that in the way that society is kind of making things a bit hyper hypercharged. I, I feel the intensity in, in our society changing as, as things are progressing. Everything is a big polarizing event, you know, vaccine, non-vaccine or racism or sexism. Everything is this huge pendulum, rights and of, of women's um, ability to choose in the state of Texas versus, you know, what Biden is, is allowing to occur with Haitians. It's like this constant charged state of being. And so people are looking for peaceful and happier and joyous 
spaces because this is tough. It's tough to be in a society like that where there's one trigger around the corner every time you turn around, there's something that could get you charged. So I suspect a lot of people are choosing the happier paths and moving in more apathy and not really engaging in those things. But I have concerns about it. Like we continue to complain and point and say, that's really awful. That's really terrible. And that has never done anything to change what is our society. Even within our own profession, we see that. You know, I've constantly over the last few weeks have asked about, well, what do people want to do about ASHA dues that they complain about every year for as long as I've been a professional, which is 12, maybe even before, and I'm sure after. But most people don't talk about it. They just pay their dues quietly while complaining very loudly on the internet. You're calling me out specifically here, I feel. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I feel very attacked right now. Uh... Well, it's just these questions I always ask. What do we do? If I'm bothered by something, I do not continue to complain about it. I either do something about it or I just deal with it, one or the other, because I want to live a happy life. So if it's my life that I am obligated to pay these dues, then I pay them without any other expectation because I have to. And like I said before, I don't know any businesses that are like, we volunteer as tribute. We're going to go ahead and give you (laughs) your money. Like what business does that? So I think whatever is the scenario right now, unless there is collective reform by the SLPs that have a problem with it, then it should be something that we continue to encourage people to just pay (laughs) because we're not changing anything about it. I mean, to be honest with you right now, Universal Nissan in Orlando owes me $500 and they're still not giving it back to me and they owe it to me. So I know no businesses are giving it up for free when they when they don't technically have to owe it to you. Yeah. Um, if you're out there, Universal Nissan, you guys suck. Give me back my money. You owe it to me. Um, don't ever shop there. Uh, anyway. Um, it's, tough. it's tough. But any, we are these people that just... We're coming at our own points of view, our own styles of how we navigate frustrating spaces. I like to just put frustrating spaces to bed because I deal with them frequently and I don't like anxiety. I think it's not healthy for my for my skin. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know that I just live in anxiety, so I'll probably just keep complaining and paying at the same time because that's, that's where I am. Um, I, I mean, it's... Listen, it's the truth. Um, I do, I do, I do really want to kind of just put this out there before we move on to our story for today. You know, we have discovered that the remains found did belong to Jelani Day. Um, this case is not closed. His family is still looking for answers. They're still looking for for closure. He was last spotted on surveillance footage on August twenty fourth at nine twelve, leaving a retail store at nine twelve a.m. His car was spotted in the footage from that parking lot. He drove a uh, Chrysler. It was a 2012 Chrysler 300. Uh, The store in question I've read in a few different sources was a dispensary. He was wearing a black Jimi Hendrix shirt. If you saw him, if you are 
live near around Bloomington, Illinois, and you saw something or you know something, please call in a tip. His family is still looking for answers. His car was found concealed in a wooded area near the Illinois Valley YMCA in Peru, Illinois, and that was on the 26th when they found it. His ID was also found near the body of water where he was discovered. If you think that you saw something, if you know anything, if you have any information, please, please, please reach out to the Bloomington police. Let's get this family the answers that they're looking for um, to help them, you know, grieve and put their, their son, their family member to rest. Uh, you know, I, it, if you have any information, you can contact the Bloomington Police Department at 309-820-8888 or Detective Paul Jones at 309-434-2548. Um, you know, we just hope that that we can find some answers as to why this happened to this young man who looked like he had a very bright future ahead of him. Mm. You know, it's just really sad all around. I, I, I'm not good at the segue from uh, something, you know, this devastating into something new. Um, but we do have a story for you today from the trenches. Um, and our SLP this week is seeking a way out. Uh, as you know, I know a lot of you out there are or have been in that position. Are you um, thinking about me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm calling you out directly this time. No, I mean, I know that we've all kind of been there where we just felt like, you know, gosh, I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, that may have been just at one setting and maybe you went to another setting and things got better. Or maybe this same pattern repeated itself over and over and over again in a variety of settings. Um, but, you know, we've all I, I think if you have not been in a situation where you hated your job, you are very lucky. <laughs> Stay there. Don't leave. Um, but, uh, you know, so for for the SLP that I spoke to um, for this interview, she had a lot of, you know, very difficult settings and she really was looking for a way out for a lot of the time. Um, and I have, you know, a story from her here about, you know, one of, one of her, her bad settings and kind of the things that happened there. And I don't think that they're uncommon to some people. Some of you may feel that, uh, you know, she's talking about you here. Maybe you've been through this. Well, in some components we can, you know, pause and try to give our suggested solutions for some of these issues, because if we're continuing to experience them in the same way that she has, um, it is something to really pay close attention to on how we give effective solutions in that so that, you know, we can stop the tide of this pervasive pressing into doing things and hurting SLPs. So let's take a listen. All right. So my SLP here, seeking a way out, um, she, wor she worked as a contractor long, not long after she completed her CFY, which I know a lot of us, um, you know, some of us may have done. That happened to me as well. I, I started doing contract work pretty soon after completing my CFY just because of the lack of, you know, desirable jobs in my area, especially when I graduated post, you know, just post the recession. And, you know, it started out okay, but then she went from sharing an office, if you want to call it that. I know uh, I saw some post this week about uh, an SLP complaining about having to treat four kids in a closet where she had to stand up 
if there were four kids in there because there wasn't room for another chair. Um, <laughs> so in the beginning, she shared an office, had a therapy assistant and a billing specialist to then only having a desk in a teacher's office with no therapy assistant, no billing person, and never, ever having a lead therapist in almost the two years that she was there, even though they kept promising that these people would appear. They never mm -hmm. did. Um, no one knew what was going on. Everyone was always getting mixed instructions. I've been there. And then towards the end of her time there, they finally hired a person to be in charge of therapy. And that's actually when it got worse, believe it or not. Oh. Yeah. So what happened is the person who they hired was a woman that hadn't worked in about 18 years or so. She didn't have any credentials at all, was not a therapist. <laughs> and... You know, this was the person who is now in charge of therapy. Well, business in general is in charge of therapy. So they're going to do things like that. We see it pretty regularly, even above where we are. So we might have, you know, our report to a PTOT or SLP, but they are dictated by business. So even if you're led by a therapist, just know they're being their coattails are being adjusted by business because this is the model that we're in, unfortunately. Absolutely. And then, you know, the location that she was in, it was kind of like a charter school where, you know, some kids had insurance, some kids were receiving therapy through their IEPs. It was kind of a mix. So what happened for her is whenever they wanted her to see kids that were the public school kids that didn't have their own insurance. Uh, they wanted her seeing them only in groups and only pushing into the classroom. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of these kids were pre-K kindergarten kids, and there wasn't a lot of structure in the classroom. A lot of the teachers really kind of let the kids do whatever they wanted while they were in there. And then other kids would be really disruptive and trying to get you to play with them while you were trying to work with your group. Uh, so she found it very difficult to kind of work in this situation, doing these push in groups with, you know, large push in groups with these very young kids, but that was the, the only way that they were allowing them to treat them, not per the child's needs, I'm not saying that push in therapy isn't appropriate for some kids. We're not saying pull in therapy isn't appropriate for other kids, but I think we really need to look at what is the setting? What is the child? What is best serving their needs? Instead of saying, oh, we use an all push in or an all pull out model, which mm -hmm. really gets lost when you're working with kids, I feel like in the school setting. Well, there's one thing I would say mm -hmm. in the regards of justifying the outcomes? How do we get a clear, supportive component to represent why we would make those distinctions? Why do we want to do pull out with some students versus um, inclusion in the classroom? What are the benefits of, of those two different types of therapies? How can we support our decision to make these variations from child to child to exercise the expertise and not just kind of accept the system? This is what we have to show, truly, is make those types of data collections, the, that whole I'm the scientist in the room, show the parallel, show how being pulled out for you know this type of child benefited them and give that information to the people that continue to tell you how to navigate it in your, you know, like 
at you instead of allowing you to make those decisions. Um, because we need that. We need those, those information collect, collective data things instead of just our feelings. Yeah. Well, and I, I really think that, you know, I, I feel like we always get into these ideas of like all or nothing. And I really feel like we need to look at everything, you know, in terms of the whole child and, and what is good. And I know it's really hard, especially with an IEP where you have to like put the minutes and you have to put where you're seeing the kids. And I wish we could move towards this, you know, idea of, of kind of going with what's appropriate for that child at that moment. Maybe today the classroom is a disaster and there's too much noise going on in there. And while normally we do, you know, push in today, pull in is a little bit more appropriate. Maybe the child is not quite, you know, able to participate in, in the classroom on that day. And that day we want to pull out, you know, and maybe some days we want to push in and, we do need to be able to, you know, we're constantly told as therapists that we need to, you know, adapt with the situation. But I feel like sometimes when we're, you know, have very structured IEPs, it's a little bit harder to do that. Absolutely. It's one of so, those, it's one of those challenges to being patient centered and a critical thinker. So those two components, critical thinking and patient centered need to always correlate. And that's where you really exercise your expertise in a room. That's one thing that I always felt very comfortable and confident about is the ability to justify my clinical decision of changing something in the moment to help optimize what I was looking at for the person in front of me, the client, the patient, the student, what, whichever label you want to apply. Like this therapy is not going to be effective and I know it. So we can either discuss how we're going to make it effective in the way that I feel is best because I'm professional and not have it be an argumentative discussion between teachers and principals and all these other people. <laughs> like it should be like, okay, she knows what's best or he knows what's best because he's the professional in that space. So and I, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to use one of our dreaded words here, but I think that this is really the kind of situation where your documentation needs to be on point. Cause if you can document that this is what's best for the child in that moment, like you have that documentation on your side as much as we all hate the documentation portion of this job. Yes, um, but because there's not enough stability in our in our data collection, um, how do we kind of infuse or imbue ourselves like, okay, I am definitely going to guide this care in the way that I feel um, makes the most sense in this business-shaped or, you know, money-shaped environment because schools do things in a bud- budget manner. And... You know, if I were had to work in a closet, I would absolutely pull out all of the psychology documentation on, well, these are the things that make that environment completely incon- like it's not conducive with our ability to make progress. Psychological impact of working in a small room, small space with, you know, an uncomfortable like that I absolutely would do that research, pull that out, borrow from other sciences, do what we whatever you can to support yourself to get out of those situations. Because money is king unless you pull out numbers. Once numbers comes into place, they're like, oh, well, then if we can make some adjustments here, you would we would actually do better. So it does need documentation, data, and scientific support. 
I did see one of the comments on the thread about the the working in the closet where somebody suggest somebody had mentioned, you know, I would love to know what the parents of these children who are expecting their kids to receive services think about their children receiving services in a closet. Um, so, you know, that would be interesting also. I know that mm-hmm. it's not always in our best interest to kind of out the school to the parents, but, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I would not be happy if my child was receiving his much needed services in a closet. Well, you have to first present it to the school to indicate like, this is not acceptable. This is not an acceptable conducive environment for me to be able to do effective care. And these are the reasons why. If you communicate that clearly and the school still doesn't do anything, then I probably would go to the parents, but the, the school already knows that you have a, a, an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the steps to kind of go about it. I don't want to back duck behind schools and go to parents like, no, right. I want to stand up in front of you and say, this is not acceptable. And for these reasons, I have this information about child psychology, about, you know, whatever you can do. And you can even document like I would like to choose a different location. I want to give it one week and then I can show you the differences in my outcomes anything negotiate to the highest capacity that you can to figure out a way to not just be a person that's receiving this discipline in its pressure course to be diminished into nothing there does need to be a stopping ground when we go okay we all need to hold firm here because it's getting bad <laughs> they're putting us in closets guys they're putting us in closets. <laughs> they are sometimes in the hallway too sometimes you're lucky if you even get a closet right so we we do need to like start to hold firm and concrete methods on how to do that is what you know this really platform is supposed to be about we want to talk about the stories continuously and offer those things like what are some solutions that we can consider because working out of a closet is not okay having a hundred to 200 you know 150 students on your case like those things are not okay Having this like whole business model drive us into the ground, that's not okay. I want, I want us to be able to be scientists, data collectors, and go, this is why it's not okay. We see the outcome is not what we were promised when we were originally coming out of school and through some great places that have great outcomes with their students and their patients. Look at those models. Do we care about that anymore? enough to start holding firm and collecting that information all of us all of us need to collect it so yeah mm-hmm. it's getting bad guys winter is here <laughs> winter is here oh yeah so she said whenever there was an eval good luck if you could even get a protocol and i know some of you have been there too uh then you oh, have to a put them in test, a standardized test. Yes. Mm. Getting any of those protocols for your Goldman Fristo or your, you know, test, whatever test you need to give, trying to find a protocol or being told here, you can use these Xerox copies of them. Uh, so then you have to put the kids, she would have to schedule the kids herself for any kind of evaluation. If there was any kind of miscommunication, it would be on her. Uh, the note system, the computerized system that they had to input their notes would get messed up. And half the time it would just still have the old goals in it, even after you update it. So any notes that you were writing in 
would have the old goals written at the top and not the new ones that you that you change the goals to. Mm. Yeah. So uh, there was pretty much no material to work with. I've been there. That was all on you. Um, so you'd have to bring all your own materials, have everything, you know, nothing was available. And of course, with the kids that were in school, less than half of the parents had any kind of carryover because you weren't even in communication with them or they weren't in communication with you. Um, her company, the one that she worked for, would fire you without any warning. Uh, she was let go by getting an emailed invitation to a meeting that she was told all the other therapists were going to. Uh, they waited until the very end of her school day on the last day of school and fired her. Why did they fire her? She said they claimed that she used her cell phone too much. So talking about the fact that she's an independent contractor and she was using her phone for time, for data collection. Uh, since she was a contractor, she had to communicate with all the parents about any cancellations, about rescheduling. Um, basically, she said if they don't want you there, they were just going to let you go without any warning for whatever reason they wanted to come up with. Uh, so, and, and you know. That feels really uncomfortable, especially if you feel like that's all you've got. Um, for SLPs that feel those environments are all they got, I feel for you. I don't think that that's true always. Uh, mm -hmm. I do think that some people have the ability to have wiggle room the people that don't have wiggle room and they have to be in those types of toxic environments. Um, what are some things that can kind of help that situation? You know, I don't know. I don't know how to build rapport in those environments where you feel like you're walked all over. I am naturally aggressive about building rapport in environments. I would like for people to be collaborative everywhere I go. It was something I took a lot of pride in when I was doing travel therapy. You know, within the first week I was ingratiating myself. It was forceful, it was persistent and probably annoying for some people, <laughs> but it ingratiated me very quickly in environments um, to get it to where people didn't want me necessarily to leave. That doesn't mean I haven't had I haven't had challenging experiences in work environments, but that usually had to do with hierarchy, people that are above me, above my rank, wanting my respect. When I just think everybody should be considered equal, and I've always felt that way. Like I just think that everybody in the room deserves it, from the bottom of the barrel to the top of the chain. You know, the person that comes in to clean the trash out of a classroom, the janitor. You know to the principal. I feel everybody should get the equal amount. So that's why I have a hard time with hierarchy, but. Well, you should always respect your colleagues because everyone is getting you to the point that you need to be at the end of the day. So if Absolutely. you're, you know, if you feel that you're above the person who takes the trash out of your classroom, then you really need to think about how you would feel if that trash was never taken out of your classroom and you yeah. had to live with it. So, yeah. I, I mean, that person deserves as much respect as anyone else in the building. A thousand percent. So the, it's the reason I, I have a hard time with um, kind of looking at these experiences where people are just being dumped on, being bullied in a way, really having hard challenges. Like, how can you 
shift the trajectory so that you are considered an equal or a match or somebody that doesn't require or doesn't have those things anymore. I wouldn't be able to know even where to begin in that, but it's something to consider, um, mostly because I think everyone has the capacity to win in the environment they're in. I, I'm a huge proponent of you will never get the best. It's your responsibility to make the best of what you have. And I believe in that wholeheartedly because certain things just don't go your way and they will fall through and you will be disappointed, but how do you make the best of it? And so in that is where I try to figure out like, how would I have navigated or what would I have done? And how can I encourage other people to not just accept and receive those types of treatments? Cause gosh, to be, to be drowning in your profession, the way that I want to get out is talking. I feel so heartbroken that it just had to stay that way throughout the entire thing. And there was no internal solution that manifested. Mm -hmm. It just became something that she just endured uh, like a beaten, beaten, you know, slave, unfortunately, like just a beaten person that just couldn't get up and be like, no, I need to find something else to get out of this. This is not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. So I want to encourage people to find that for themselves so that they don't have to last long in those spaces. Um, and they can only find those things for themselves in some, in some aspects. And, you know, she said here that she kind of feels like they wanted her out because she was challenging that woman that was in charge, the one that we talked about earlier who had no prior experience. Um, she said it was just like little things like, you know, she said that she would like she said that she would take care of the summer schedules. And then two weeks later, she would be like, oh, you guys need to get these due because they're due at the end of the day. But like, you know, that was your job. You said you were going to do it. Um, she had to constantly remind her about any kids that needed referrals for OT or PT because she would never actually do anything um, when she was asked to or when she was asked for help. Um, and she just said there was just no support. Zero, none, nothing. Um, and then the kicker here is that including herself, they fired three other therapists in about a year. Wow. And all of the therapists that they fired we're Jewish. I, I don't know what, like, what to make of that, you know, not having been in that, in that situation, but it's a little interesting tidbit. Um, and she basically said that she was screwed over from day one. Um, when she was hired, she was hired as an employee. She was promised that she would become full-time in no more than a month and that she was going to receive benefits after three months. Well, what happened was that she got slammed with evals right off the bat. She was on the, at the facility for a minimum of 40 hours a week writing up those evals, but as a contractor, she wasn't paid to do the write-outs. She was paid a flat rate for doing the eval. So she was only getting paid part-time for full-time work. And uh, when it came up to her third month, when she was supposed to finally start receiving benefits, they switched to all the therapists are now going to be private contractors. And, you know, they probably knew that that was going to happen when they hired her. Um, but that's not what they promised when she was hired. Did she make more money and kind of could afford? 
Well, so we're getting to that, but she actually said that the director of therapy actually told her how good of a therapist she was while she was firing her. So, you know, they acknowledged that she was good at her job, that she was doing what she was supposed to, and then fired her anyway. Um, And she did say the only positive was that the pay was very good. Um, Granted, when you're getting paid, because you're only getting paid during your face-to-face time, not for you know, that other time that you're spending there throughout the day. So no matter how good the pay is, if you're getting paid for 20 hours a week and working 40, that pay is not that great because it's getting cut in half. Um, I get it. So in this, in this aspect of things, if it's just payment for direct face-to-face, like could she have negotiated, competed? What are some things that you suggest or that you think an SLP can do in that scenario. I mean, I think in this scenario, it's really, you know, since it is such a case of a bait and switch where you were promised one thing and then you were given another, I don't know what you really can do besides leave at that point. Because if they're going to, I mean, if they're dishonest in the hiring process, you know, what are you really going to get out of this company in the long run? And I continue to say this to therapists often because I do hear these things and then people kind of stick around and I don't know why they stick around. I feel like it doesn't make sense to have individuals do that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work to think that it's going to improve um, without doing anything, number one. And, and so if you are not a person who even addresses things like systematic issues comfortably, I would say cut and run because they're, at this point, in this time, are great virtual jobs. Uh, I don't know if CFs can do virtual jobs. I haven't actually delved into that. That would be an interesting thing to pay attention to because of the fact that there's a lack of real clinical application at the the level of what professional clinical individuals are out there. So there's a little bit of a gap between the school and transitioning through your CF. However, there are those roles. There are those virtual roles that are little, can offer decent income so that you don't find yourself fully without a job. So that and I think that, I think that definitely, you know, looking at this probably in terms of the time and when it happened and, you know, even you and I have very different experiences because you had the flexibility, you know, to take travel positions and to move to other locations, you know, whereas for me, like getting out of school and really, you know, just kind of hitting that recession in uh, 2009, where a lot of places were on a hiring freeze, there wasn't a lot of jobs in this area, you know, living in Orlando where we have UCF you know, pumping out so many therapists every semester because they enroll every semester, not even, you know, not even every year. Um, You know, the area around us in that time period was very oversaturated. You know, that's my experience is that there really wasn't a lot of jobs out there. So you really had to kind of deal with a crappy one or be stuck in this limbo of trying to find another crappy one which is why I did so much contract work because I really wasn't finding anywhere that I wanted to be. You know, I had a PRN job. I had a contract job. I did that for a few years where I just worked contract and PRN because there really wasn't a full-time job that I could take that I wanted. 
you know, especially at the time when I wanted to work with adults. Mm. So, so they're, you know, not having the flexibility to move and, you know, being stuck in this area really made my job pool a lot smaller and, and, you know, influenced a lot of my decision-making and staying in a job that, you know, maybe I didn't care for. And some people are like, forget all this. I'm going to start my own business. <laughs> <laughs> some people are. Like they right. just create something else or they step out of the discipline altogether to say, I don't want to be a speech pathologist anymore. I want to do something else with this degree. Um, there is a lot more of that mindset where we're kind of, we, we were just dedicated to staying invested in it. Um, we can't necessarily continue on with her story um, on this episode, but we will again circle back because I do consider some of her experiences continue to be in the world and in what we're experiencing now. And I think with some distance, you and I have had some ability to kind of ponder and process, well, what's some good ways to fix it? (laughs) Well, let me leave you here with this gem of a quote from her before we end this story, because um, she said, you know, thinking back on this time period in her life, uh, why the fuck did I go through all this shit for a profession where I can't get a job? And, you know, that's how I very much felt at that time period um, in my life when, you know, the job pool was so limited for me. Uh, So I, you know, uh, I know that a lot of the things that we talked about are things that you know, a lot of people out there have gone through and I can relate a lot to many elements in her story. Um, and you know, uh, there is, there is some more, so maybe one day we'll come back to, uh, seeking, uh, seeking a way out and, Mm -hmm. and get some more info and maybe an update as well. Well, for our veteran who was struggling to find something, um, she ended up circling back and letting me know she's a co-teacher in a kindergarten class. And, Who's just excited. She's Fantastic. Just excited. And hopefully that opens the doors for her ability to, you know, get those levels up that people will see her expertise in what she's doing. I like this. We should, we should, uh, we should keep doing updates yeah. on our past interviewees and finding out what they're up to and how things are going since, uh, since they, they heard about their own woes and maybe had, you know, their feelings confirmed. On uh, one of our episodes. About people's business. You just nosy, nosy, nosy. <laughs> I gotta know. <laughs> gotta know how it ends. <laughs> I gave you one update and now we starting a whole new series. Listen. <laughs> you know, nobody got time to be circling back. Come on now. <laughs> I know, I know the people who have been following along out there. They want to know too. They they're gonna be just like me. <laughs> I gotta know everybody's business. Of course, of course. Anyway, guys, we thank you so much for circling back and taking a listen to our show. Please feel free, as you know, to write us, to tell us, to give us feedback. Um, Ayala is back, so let's go ahead and hand it over to her with all that. Oh, yes. So if you like what you hear, please give us a rating um, wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We'd love to hear from you. A five-star rating would be wonderful if that's how you feel. Um, you know, feel free to... Uh, shout out to us on our Instagram at uh, Miseducated SLP and on Facebook. We have uh, the Miseducated S- the Miseducation of the SLP podcast group. 
Um, and we, we really like to hear from you. Tell us what you're thinking, what's working for you. Give us your feedback on the episode, some things you'd like to hear about maybe, um, or if you'd like your story featured here on one of our episodes. Uh, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again next time. Bye. Bye.